You know, as we continue our series that we have titled uh, Emmanuel, God with us, I was thinking this week about, about life and um, about the season that we all find ourselves in and how you and I today, how we can uh, get life right this Christmas. This Wednesday uh, coming up on the 20th, Paige, who, whom I call Sweetheart, will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. And um, this morning I told her that I was going to say something about her, and she said, you're supposed to ask permission. And I said, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission on some things. Not saying that it's right. It's not. I am a a preacher, but it is easier sometimes. But as I was thinking about 20 years with Paige Harrington Tillman, I started thinking about life and and just how, how crazy and how hectic life is. And this question came up in my mind, and and I asked a couple of folks about it, but this question came up in my mind, and I thought that the answer to the question was no. And I have good reason why I think that it's no, but then I was just flooded from the opposite side. Here's the question. Are we, in this generation, are we, you and I, living in the most distracted generation? Are are we living in the busiest generation that has ever been? And when I asked a a couple of folks about that, here, here was my argument. My argument was every generation, every culture, every city, every people, every home has distractions. Go back to the Gospels. There is Martha and Mary in one home. And one of those two sisters got it right. And one of those two sisters found herself like I find myself so often, just doing all this stuff instead of doing what was best. After much discussion in multiple conversations, I believe that we possibly are busier, more distracted than previous generations And if that is the case, so much more that you and I need to heed our story from Scripture this morning. If that is the case, that we, in 2017, find ourselves at this juncture, we need this gospel. This week I was listening to a couple of different sermons and had nothing to do with this except got my train of thought. And, and the first was from a gentleman out in California, and he was preaching about us being a part of the culture. And in Romans chapter 12, that was his text that day as he was preaching, he stated this in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. He reminded the audience, and may I remind us as I read the verses, you'll see them on the screen in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul states to the folks at Rome these words. He says, I appeal to you, 
This is Paul talking. Paul, I appeal to you, the church at Rome, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Leave that slide up. I don't know how many times I've heard when or stated, personally stated, that, hey, we're not supposed to be conformed to this world. You and I are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Don't be like the world. Over and over and over again, and this pastor was preaching, and he said, it is just as much of a sin, catch this, it's just as much of a sin for a person to be isolated from the world, not engaged in the world, as it is for a person or a Christian to be conformed to the world. And that made me think. Scripture tells us that we're not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can discern this will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. And the question is, how can you and I get life right this Christmas? Which brought me to one more verse. John chapter 10, verse 10 Jesus states these words. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came, I came that they, you, I, that we might have life and have it abundantly. So how can you and I get life right this Christmas? How can you and I get life right this Christmas? If you have a copy of God's Word in Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read 21 verses. We just saw those verses acted out and spoken of, but I want to read the verses for us one more time. And I have two truths from this text. But after I hit page 7 on my notes with the first truth, I thought that you might want to have lunch today, so you'll have to come back next week for the second truth. So this morning we're going to look at one truth from this passage, seeking to answer the question how you and I can get life right this Christmas. Luke records these words, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Some translations say taxed or counted. But they should be registered. This was the first generation, excuse me, first registration from Quirinius who was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered. Each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to their firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, 
cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, all who heard it, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, over the next few moments, God, would you drive this text home? Lord, for most in this room, it is a familiar text. And Lord, for me and for us, I believe all of us that it is familiar to. It is easy to overlook the depth, the richness of these words because we have heard them time and again. Father, I pray that that would not be the case today. God, I ask you to speak. Lord, speak into our hearts. Lord, your spirit, your spirit has been given to us, your people, your sons and your daughters. We have you living inside of us. Lord, would you stir us? Draw us close. God, would you speak this morning to our hearts? Lord, change our hearts, change our lives, that we might bring glory to your great name. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The truth this morning where we'll camp out, where we'll spend the next few moments, is this. If you and I are going to get life right this Christmas, if we're going to get life right this Christmas, it means this. Getting life right means you and I must make room for Jesus. We must make room for Jesus. You're like, oh, Brian, that's easy. We, we should just close the word and just sing another song and get out of here. 
We make room for Jesus. Last night, Paige, the kids and I drove around Hernando and we were judging lights. And some of you, not so good. Some of you were terrible. We judged ours last, and they were like, that's just sad. <laughs> that is just sad. You got three pieces of wood and a, got some paint on it. looks like Mary Joseph and baby Jesus, and they fall down half the time, and a spotlight doesn't work half the time. That's just terrible. But, but we, we rode around, and, and, and everybody got a chance to judge. And it seemed like on every block of the neighborhoods that we hit, at least one house, if not multiple houses, had in their array of lights a manger. In their array of lights, a cross. In their array of lights, something that had to do with Jesus. And you're like, we get it in Hernando. We get it in Mississippi. We're the most church state in the nation. But getting life right means making room for Jesus. And before we just skirt over that, may I draw our attention back to the story and dig a little deeper in your heart and in your life to see if we actually get it. You and I have heard the story before. You've heard the story twice this morning. You've seen it. But do we get it? The story begins where there is the government stepping in and saying, we've got to know how many folks we have under us, so therefore we can get the money that we are supposed to get from them. So everybody's got to go to their city to be counted. And Mary and Joseph start a trek. Some 50 miles. You're like, oh, we can do that in 48 minutes today. Yeah. But here is this teenager. Eight months and ten thousandths months more pregnant. Riding a pack animal on the terrain, up and down, one bump after the next bump, after every single step. Can I get an amen, moms? It, it was a treacherous 50 miles. Yet she made it. And as she made it, she comes to this city. It's called Bethlehem. And in those moments, in those hours, it was time for her to give birth. And here's the truth. Getting life right means that you and I must make room for Jesus. Let me read the verses once again. Verse number 7 especially. But let me start in 6. And while they were there after that 50 plus mile journey, while they were there, time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in some rags and laid him in a manger because 
there was no room for them in the end. You know, it's easy for us to uh, think about that innkeeper and give that guy a pass. But before we do, let's spend some time thinking about him and maybe thinking about you and me. One author put it this way, it was not by chance, it was not by chance that the Bible records that there was no room for him in the end. I mean, this wasn't incidental. It was not accidental. It was fundamental to something that had been true about the Lord Jesus. That was to be true about the Lord Jesus all of his earthly ministry. Not just in those moments that there wasn't any room for him in the end, but there was no room for him for all of his life. And still, it is true about the Lord Jesus today. Think about how this little baby for a moment. Think about how this little baby, what sensation he must have had. When the baby's eyes were open, the first thing he saw were those dingy outlines of a stable. The God of the universe comes into the form of the human body and a human person. And the first thing that he opens his eyes to is to a stable. The first odors that came into his nostrils were the smells of cow and horse and donkey. Y'all know where I'm going. Think about that. The first thing that came into his ears, perhaps was the munching of straw by the animals. The first sensation that the little baby's skin had was that rough cloth and then the straw poking in. The king of the universe, your Messiah, your Christ, anointed one, that's what he felt. Oh, the tragedy. Oh, the travesty in that moment where the king of kings entered into his creation and there was no room for him. You're like, well, what could the guy do? I mean, everybody had a reservation already, right? There wasn't any room for him in the end. Really? Maybe you've heard the story, the, the joke. But maybe you go to a, uh, a hotel and uh, as you go to the hotel, it, you go to the front desk, and as you're at the front desk, somebody comes and greets you, and you say, hey, I need one room for the night. I know it's late, but I, but I really need one room for the night. They say, I'm sorry, there's no room. Really, no room. No, no room whatsoever. I'm sorry. We're fully booked. And the person says, well, let me just ask a hypothetical question. I, I don't know the answer to this, but let me ask a hypothetical question. If the President of the United States came to the front desk right now and asked for a room. Would there be a room? Oh, yeah, we'd make room. I'll take that room because I know he's not coming tonight. I mean, if we're real honest, if this guy knew who was born in his stable, he would have given him his room. Where was he sleeping that night? He was sleeping somewhere. So maybe it's by ignorance that this innkeeper did not know who was in his stable. But understand this, ignorance 
is not innocence. Ignorance is not innocence. You and I need to understand that. We need to come to grasp. Just because you might be ignorant of a law, just because you might be ignorant of this or that happening, does not mean that you are innocent and you are outside of it happening. There were those that knew exactly what was going on. Mary knew. Joseph knew. Elizabeth knew. The angels knew. Simeon and Anna, you can read it a little further in chapter 2, Simeon and Anna, they knew what was going on. They were longing for that day. They were looking with with eyes wide open. Oh, Lord, is today the day that I'm going to get to see my Messiah? Is today the day that I'm going to get to see the King? Is today, when I go into the temple, is it the day? The shepherds knew. But this innkeeper, maybe it was because of ignorance. And maybe it's because of ignorance. I don't think so. But maybe it's because of ignorance that, that your life has not changed. Because you just don't know about this king. The straw is still right here. It happened right here. It was shown to you. It was shown to me. This event. Right on this spot. You and I cannot say it's because of ignorance. Well, maybe it's not just ignorance. Maybe this innkeeper in verse number 7, when he says, there's no room for you, Mary. There's no room for you, Joseph. Maybe it's not ignorance. Maybe it's just indifference. You and I are not ignorant of the event. Even those in this room who have not bowed the knee to Jesus as Savior and Lord, those of us in the room who have not confessed with our mouths, believed in our hearts that He is Savior and He is Lord, Maybe the reason you and I don't have room for him is that it's just indifference. You know, he just doesn't move the needle for you. You're, I'll leave you alone for just a second. You're just uh, keeping your streak going with your chat snaps. I know it's Snapchat. I, I do know that. Please understand that I know that. Maybe it's you just trying to see how many likes that you have on Facebook. Maybe uh, we've just been uh, searching Marketplace on Facebook. I know Todd can't do that. He's going to, man, he's going to get me Thursday night at Bible study. I may have to find a new ride down to Senatobia for Bible study. But maybe it's just indifference. Indifference. We, we are, we have our face in front of a screen instead of a conversation. We have our face in front of all the things that this world has to offer and there is indifference. There is indifference. Busyness. It's even worse than ignorance. We know the story. We know what happened some 2,000 years ago. Yet we live the same. The innkeeper was either ignorant or indifferent. He might have found himself like that church over in Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea, where Jesus stands and he speaks to this church, his church. And he says to those folks at Laodicea, his 
sons and his daughters. And he says, you know, your, your actions make me want to vomit. Your indifference to all the things that are going on makes me want to vomit. And it was something that they knew rather clearly. Because the placement of that city, Laodicea in Asia Minor, five miles to the north on the, on the hilltops, on the cliffs, there was a city called Hierapolis. And it was known throughout the region, throughout the world. I know I've told you this before, but it was known for its hot baths. And people would climb the cliffs and they would see on the top of those cliffs, it would be white like snow, but it was salt and minerals from the hot baths. And people would come. They would flock to Hierapolis for a soothing, healing bath. And across the valley, there was a city called Colossae. And they were known, not for their hot baths, but they were known for the cool drink of the spring waters that were there. And Laodicea was a rich town. And they said, hey, I'm tired of walking up the cliffs and I'm tired of walking across the valley. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make an aqueduct and then we're going to take the waters, those healing waters from the hot springs and Hierapolis. And we're going to bring them right down here to the city center. And instead of having to walk across those five miles to Colossae, we'll build the aqueduct and we'll make it high and it'll just roll right in. And guess what? The hot water from Hierapolis coming down those cliffs cooled. And the cool water from Colossae coming across the valley, hitting the sun's rays, inch after inch, foot after foot, mile after mile, warmed. And they were like, man, this bath water is not any good and this cool drink of water is no good. They understood the picture that Jesus was saying, you make me want to spew you out of my mouth when you aren't doing what I called you to do. Hey, River Ben, he's called you to do something. Are you just indifferent? We're not ignorant of the story. Maybe we're indifferent. But look with me with one more possibility. For you and for me, maybe it's not ignorance. I don't think that it is. Maybe it's not indifference. Maybe it's your involvement. Your involvement. We have focused our attention, our time, our efforts, our finances, our lives on the stuff of Christmas instead of the substance of Christmas. You and I find ourselves inundated with distraction after distraction after distraction. We never get to the real substance. Did I get the batteries for that toy? Because I know that He's going to want to play with that toy as soon as he opens it. Do I have the batteries? Did I get the... I know I've got seven desserts. Did I get eight, nine, and ten going? Man, I burnt the turkey. I wonder what I'm going to get for Christmas. I wonder if she, if she actually got a good gift this year. I wonder if, if he actually remembered that he was supposed to get this or that. All the stuff. Maybe it's not gifts. Maybe, ladies and gentlemen, we find ourselves cleaning out that spot, cleaning up that floor, cleaning out that room instead of reading his word. <laughs> 
Maybe you and I find ourselves preparing a meal instead of preparing our hearts to hear from our king. Maybe you and I, as we sit across the table from loved ones, catch that term, loved ones, family members, those that are closest to us, we sit across the table from them this time of year and there is only surface talk. Knowing the hurt. Knowing the need. For life to be better this Christmas. For life to be better, there must be Jesus. There must be this sense that not only are we making room for him, but you and I are dying. We are surrendering our lives to him. Oh, he is greater than the greatest. He is the beginning and the end. He's the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon. He's the king of kings. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. He is the Lord of lords, the everlasting father. May we not forget this Christmas. He's the reason for every season. He is the reason that you and I have the opportunity to expand our lungs one more time. Scripture states that as all these things were taking place, as the angel showed the shepherds how to get there, as the shepherds came and bowed down, as the donkeys were doing what donkeys do, and as the town around the moment continued, Mary sat back and pondered. Lord, how how in the world did did this come about to me? How in the world? I am holding God. Hey, Christian, just a reminder, and I'm done. Just a reminder, you're not holding God in your hands. He lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. He has made his abode, his dwelling in you. Do not be ignorant of that. That cannot, no longer can it make you and me indifferent to the king of glory inside of us. And may none of the involvement that we're in, May none of the involvement, this season or any other season, may it not steal that fact that the king lives in you. He lives in you. He knows every thought. He knows every word. He knows every action and every inaction that you were supposed to do and you didn't do. And he desires you to come to him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Please remember that. Heavenly Father, this morning, God, you know that I I never, ever want to preach. Hey, do better sermon. Get out there and do better. 
Lord, Lord, that is not your text. That is not the reason for the story, for us to do better. God, I cannot do better. But you have given me yourself. You have given me your son, your spirit. You have given us, those who know you as Savior and Lord. We have you, your strength, your wisdom to do your will. Father, I pray for the students in the room. I pray for the adults in the room. That this Christmas, today, this moment, right now, all the other junk, all the stuff, Father, that it would just melt away. And I know that it's going to want to come back raging more and more. But Father, may it melt away. May we bask in you and on you that you saw fit, Father. God, you saw fit to give us your best, your son, because you knew what we needed. And Jesus, you came. You came to make a way because you are the way. You came to die the death that we deserve so that we might have a relationship with you. Oh, Lord, may that weight, Father, may that weight rest on us. May we know that. God, you are so good. Thank you. You know, River Bend, each Sunday we have this opportunity We have this opportunity after the sermon to respond. My prayer always is this, that you would respond right where you are. Whatever he's asking you to do. You you didn't sin against me. You sinned against him. I didn't sin against you. Ultimately, I sinned against him. I have to get right with him. You have to get right with him. Right where you are, in this time of response, he is speaking. Just obey. Just obey. Father, you work. Spirit, you move in us as we stand and as we sing. God, you move. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.